All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This episode is brought to you by Nexo, the only lender offering instant crypto credit lines, which let you use digital assets as collateral to get cash in 45 different fiat currencies and stable coins. You can also park idle assets with Nexo and earn up to 8% annually. It's a company that's a strategic partner of exchanges, OTC desks, and crypto funds, all of which borrow, lend, and grow their assets using Nexo. Explore Nexo.io or reach them at institutions at Nexo.io to learn more. Save money this tax season with LucaTax, the only tested crypto tax software. Luca's listened to your feedback. Now you can calculate capital gains and see the results using three different accounting methods side by side, all for free. You only pay if you want to access their detailed tax reports. Luca supports unlimited transaction uploads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refund. LucaTax wants to help Masari's Unqualified Opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get $5 off the normal price at $39.95 when downloading today. Go to L-U-K-K-A-T-A-X.com and save money this tax season. Have you seen what the Crypto.com team's been up to lately? Talking about the MCO Visa card. It's a beautiful metal card you can top up with crypto and spend anywhere Visa's accepted. You get up to 5% back on all your spending, plus 100% rebates on Spotify, Netflix, and now Amazon Prime Travel. How about unlimited airport lounge access and interbank exchange rates? So many perks in just one card. You can download the Crypto.com app and reserve yours today. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with for exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiots. Got another special guest today, Jonathan Johnson, who's the CEO of Overstock. He's the president of Medici Ventures, and he's also the chairman at T0. Overstock, as you know, over the years, has been one of the pioneers, especially out of public companies and e-commerce companies in the blockchain space. And uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground during this conversation today. Um, but uh, first and foremost, Jonathan, I know it's a little bit of a cliched question. I know it's you know uh, a bit boring, but I always think that it's invaluable just to get the proper context um, for our audience as to how the various guests came down the rabbit hole and, and got to be where they are on the crypto side. Um, so can you just talk about uh, a little bit about your uh, involvement in the industry and and how we got to this point, how you first got exposed to Bitcoin or crypto in general, um, and what that early journey was that, that led you here, because you've been with Overstock for quite a while. Yeah, Ryan, that's a great question. It's a story I love to tell. In uh, the fall of 2013, I was the president of Overstock, and one evening I was home and my then high school-aged son, Porter, asked me a question that I had no idea what it meant. He said, Dad, when's Overstock going to start accepting Bitcoin? And I said, "Mm, Porter, what's that? And, you know, as usual, my high school age son knew more than I did and started filling me in. And I started researching and getting down the rabbit hole. And it was really interesting. At the same time, unbeknownst to me, Overstock's founder and then CEO Patrick Byrne 
who's monitoring Bitcoin and its use in uh, Cyprus in the in the upheaval they had there. So in December, when in one of our executive meetings, someone brought up, hey, have we ever thought about accepting Bitcoin? I didn't have to say, I don't know what that sentence means, as I knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. Both Patrick and I were enthusiastic about getting Overstock to a place where we could accept Bitcoin as payment. And I think maybe later that week, uh, in mid-December, um, Patrick mentioned to some reporter that we would accept Bitcoin, but it would probably, probably be in the second half of 2014. Well, no sooner did that news get out than developers here at Overstock said, why are we waiting so long? And a group of them locked themselves in a war room in that week between Christmas and New Year's. And on January 9th, 2014, Overstock began with the first major retailer to accept Bitcoin. Now, there were really two reasons that we were excited about doing it. First was we like to make it easy for people to purchase stuff on us. And if Bitcoin is a payment method like PayPal or or a credit card, let's make it easy for people to, to, to buy product on Overstock. But the more important reason was we were excited about the underlying blockchain technology and we wanted our developers to begin to get familiar with it. Um, and so that was, you know, another motive that was involved. And it was later in 2014 in the spring that we saw the first use case that we thought would be useful. And that was blockchain meeting capital markets and solving settlement problems. Uh, mm-hmm. And we bought an alternative trading system and uh, a broker dealer and rolled that up into what is now a company called T0, which you know has moved forward and has been trying to apply blockchain to the capital market. So that was kind of our initial foray and how we started setting up uh, in, taking ownership interest in different companies that are advancing blockchain technology in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so where were the areas that you were personally focused on initially? I know you're using the Royal We quite a bit because you're CEO now, um, but you've had a, a, a couple of different roles that you filled. Where, where have you spent the most of your, uh, of your time? Because Medici Ventures started deploying capital in around 2015, right? T0, you know, again, in that kind of early... 2016, maybe 2015 category. Um, where, where, where was the lion's share of your energy for, for that duration? Well, that's a great question. I'll give you a little of my history at Overstock. I'd been the president for quite some time uh, and then became the chairman of the board as I went through what my wife likes to describe as an odd midlife crisis. And I stepped aside and ran for governor in the state of Utah. And so I was less involved in the day-to-day at Overstock until I failed in that endeavor. And uh, the Overstock board asked me to come back in a day-to-day role as the president of Medici Ventures. And at that point, Medici's main portfolio companies were T0 uh, and BIT uh, that was doing blockchain-made central banking. And so uh, as soon as I came back, I got very involved in both of those. 
uh, was on the board of each, and then have been you know intimately involved in growing this Kretsu of, of related companies that's now about 20 companies that have you know interest in identity, land titling, capital markets, banking and currency, supply chain and voting. And so um, you know other than bit and T0, uh, I've been intimately involved in uh, bringing each of the companies into uh, the Medici Ventures family. Um, and how is the how is Medici Ventures uh, focus changed, if at all, over time? Because in the, in the early days, at least, it was um, you know obviously Overstock is a, a large you know e-commerce platform, but but so much of what was being done on the T zero side was capital markets focused. Did you have a particular thesis that you were pursuing at Medici, um, and 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 how has the portfolio evolved uh, over the course of the last few years, particularly with the rise of other tokenized networks, but the relatively slow rollout of, of tokenized securities, which is really where T Zero has you know, focused its its platform and its energy so far. So the reason that Overstock and what ultimately became Medici, which is our blockchain arm. The reason we got initially focused on T0 was Overstock's history with battling stock market manipulation. And we really saw blockchain as a way to close that time between the trade and the settlement of uh, security from three days to zero days. What in the industry is called T plus three and is now T plus two, we thought it should be T plus zero, thus the name T zero. So that was the first use case that was kind of near and dear to our heart. And T zero continues to be the crown jewel of the companies in our uh, family of, of blockchain companies. We own mm -hmm. over 80% of it. Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, working on it. Overstock itself has issued a, uh, a preferred share that trades on the the T0 platform. We're in the process of uh, doing a dividend of, to overstock shareholders so that every 10 shares of common or preferred shares that they own, they'll get a share of overstock series A, which again trades on the, on the T0 platform. So that has always been the primary focus of what we thought uh, was a, a killer use for blockchain technology. Uh, but when I came back in the summer of 2016 and the board and Patrick asked me to focus on building up Medici, uh, my first discussion with Patrick was, we need to think about what industries we want to be focused on because blockchain is, is so revolutionary and so evolutionary that if we don't try and put together a thesis of where we want to focus, uh, we're going to get spread too thin. And so our initial group of industries were really trying to figure out uh, where blockchain kind of becomes a tech stack for civilization. And mm -hmm. we first saw identity, uh, being able to own your own identity uh, and have that done in a way where you own it and it's not based on trivial arcana like your mother's maiden name or nine random digits that 
some government has assigned to you. We saw identity as a key pillar in a tech stack for civilization. Then we saw figuring out how to digitize property rights, whether that's uh, real property or intellectual property. We said if we can make it so that it's easier to prove ownership of property, that's a key part of what society needs to operate. Then it's currency and, and, and banking. And of course, Bitcoin was the first killer app that used blockchain mm -hmm. technology. Um, you know, we, we see uh, the ability to bank the unbanked around the world as a, a real asset, uh, a real selling point to civilization of blockchain. Then it was capital markets where we were already doing stuff with T0. And then lastly, we were looking at, at voting, uh, mm -hmm. assuming that, you know, if we can help the governed be governed better and have more say in how they're governed, that was a key piece of civilization. Since then, we've added one other industry, and that's supply chain. You know, as we see goods move and flow and being able to prove their provenance, prove their authenticity, uh, be able to track them back if there's been any uh, problems with them. We saw that as another area. So those are the six industries that we focus on now and the five that we focused on initially. What um, integration, if any, is there to the Overstock platform out of those different verticals and out of the portfolio companies that you have? Is, is it kind of run discreetly as almost like your moonshot bets uh, and, and, and just dipping a toe in the water in some of these verticals? Or are there more meaningful ties between the two different entities? Well, Overstock has always viewed itself as a technology company first. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and in 1999, when we began, uh, being an e-commerce company was still quite novel. And mm -hmm. many of our customers back then, you know, it was such a novel thing that they were more comfortable calling one of our customer care reps, giving their credit card number over the phone because they didn't want to type it into the computer. So we have viewed ourselves as kind of technologists on the transaction frontier. Um, the biggest relationship between Overstock and Medici and the blockchain companies is sharing of talent. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that Medici has is 50 developers that are enterprise grade blockchain developers. That group has grown to as many as 100, 120, and then some of them will peel off, uh, become T0 employees or become Medici land governance employees. They work on projects uh, for each of the, for the blockchain companies that want them. Some of what we found is we had a unique group of blockchain spe specific developers who weren't used to building enterprise grade software. Uh, Medici could draw from Overstock's pool of developers uh, and then put together these enterprise grade developers and blockchain developers, they would learn from one another and then really be able to create world-class blockchain-based enterprise-grade software. And so there's been a lot of sharing of talent, and some of that now is going back and forth. There is some relationship between some of the 
companies in the Medici Ventures family and, and Overstock, but it's more nascent uh, as we've tried to help uh, do, for example, know your customer and any money laundering uh, work when Overstock on board is a supplier. We've got a, a Medici Ventures company that, that is interested in beginning to get involved in that process. Um, most of it, most of the connection has been that we're just trying to be a technology company at our core and utilize our technologists to look at new areas where we can continue to be leading edge, uh, cutting edge in our thinking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the I guess the the one thing that kind of stands out is. Uh, the thematic investing that you're talking about and, and you know, Overstock is a technology company, it, you know, it, it, it sounds like there's a, a broad-based focus here. Um, I'm wondering, you know, which areas in particular that you've deployed a lot of energy and capital into, maybe on the capital market side, um, which are the ones that are, you think, going to be the first killer apps or the golden goose or the things that you own versus invest in um, as a holding company, right? Um, and you know, so that's kind of number one. And then, you know, I'd like to maybe drill down from there and understand how you view the, the different components fitting together as that core pillar, whichever it is, gets built out. Well, the company that we have the largest ownership in and we've spent the most money on is T0. And we really do think it's the one that will change. It will be significant in how it changes things. Um, and the goal there is to get it so that uh, assets can be digitized easily and then uh, put in a security token and historically difficult to uh, difficult to capitalize industries or industries that have had been difficult to pull money out of uh, piecemeal will become easier to do that. So you know, one of the, the companies that T-Zero is working with is a big real estate company that's, that is tokenizing uh, some of its property, property in Manchester, England. Uh, this mm -hmm. is a property that's got rents. Um, the owner, you know, either has to sell it all wholesale or can tokenize it and take a portion uh, of its ownership off the table and allow mm -hmm. others to have a piece of the ownership of that property, including the revenue stream from from rents. And so. There are a lot of assets like real estate, uh, like intellectual property, think uh, music or art, uh, that have revenue streams uh, that can be tokenized and, and you can spread that ownership out in a way that capital markets uh, can be so good at. And so we really think P0 uh, is probably the first place uh, to have success like that. Um, if, you know, if you were to ask where else have we spent uh, uh, a lot of time, effort, and treasure. Uh, another would be BIT, a company that's located down in Barbados, B-I-T-T, -T, that's working with the central bank and the, the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank so that that union of countries can now issue a digitized fiat currency. Uh, why would it want to do that? One, it's probably cheaper. Uh, than printing uh, paper bills and coins. Two, it's a way uh, to help 
the unbanked among the population in the Eastern Caribbean have access mm -hmm. to digital currency, which is really an important thing. Uh, most of us uh, in the United States and in the developed in the developed part of the world don't can't fathom what it would be like to not have a bank account, to not have a place to store our money, to not have a way to access digitized money through a credit card or a debit card. You know, if if you don't have access to digitized money, you're standing in line to pay your utility bills. You're carrying around a gangster wad of cash uh, anytime you're going to the grocery store. It's just something we can't even fathom. But 40% of the Caribbean operates that way. 70% of Latin America, Latin and South, Central and South America operate that way. And 90% of Africa operate that way. Creating a digital currency, whether it's a cryptocurrency or a fiat currency issued by a digital bank, really will create a way for people who have a smartphone, which is almost everybody on the globe, uh, to be able to have a digital wallet and access digital currency. We think it will be life-changing to them. So BIT is another of our portfolio companies that we've spent a lot of time, effort, and treasure, and we have developers here at Medici Ventures that are working on the BIT project uh, and doing so for sweat equity. Uh, mm -hmm. that, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a big bet for us, but it's a bet that we think is going to pay off. Um, so much, uh, I mean, it sounds like there's a bunch of exciting initiatives going on on the traditional crypto side. Um, and, you know, I, I, to be honest, I, I want to spend a full hour just on that. But I feel like uh, we, we'd be remiss to not talk about the e-commerce the e company that you're leaving, given everything that's going on with the coronavirus. Um, you know, we're, we're talking live here. It's, uh, this is going to go out in a couple of weeks, but, but right now it's, it's Wednesday, March 11th, and Italy just shut down all stores outside of groceries and, and pharmacies. Um, so, you know, I think we agree that, you know, in the, in the future, like blockchain technology is, is a you know, fascinating innovation for financial services, for identity, for all, for all the things that we talked about. Um, but on the, on the overstock e-commerce side, how do you even begin to think about uh, potential surge in demand or supply chain disruptions or just monitoring the over health of your entire company, maybe using blockchain, maybe just using traditional tools? Um, in in such a uh, you know shock to the system and and really an unprecedented event like we're seeing today. Well, that's a great question. And just yesterday we had a work from home test where we had almost all of our employees work from home to see how that would you know how we would be able to handle it. And we've you know we've we've done a lot of planning. We did it around. SARS and, and other events in the past, but this one feels a little bigger. Uh, mm -hmm. And part of the overstock system, I think that's so great is we, we actually warehouse very little of our inventory. Most of it's owned by third-party dropship suppliers. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a diverse network of about 4,000 suppliers. We think that distributed nature uh, of our supply chain uh, helps should, you know, supply chains become crimped uh, during, you know, any kind of pandemic. Um, you know, we also think that online uh, 
shopping has a real opportunity to surge while people are at home, while they're quarantined, if they're, you know, less interested in going to the mall and other public gathering places. It could be a chance for for uh, online commerce to, to surge. You know, if there's ever a run on area rugs like there has been on toilet paper, Overstock is well positioned to supply them. I, I don't know if that if that run on the bank is going to happen, but we're ready. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in terms of tracking uh, the those different suppliers, I mean, how are you using some of the different blockchain solutions that you've invested in? Uh, do you see that accelerating, or, or is the timetable still more or less unchanged? And this is you know going to operate on the same schedule as as uh, integrations would have otherwise. We're not using any of our supply chain solutions yet, in part because we've so focused, when we thought about supply chain, we thought about it horizontally and vertically. And the horizontal supply chain providers are likely to be the big behemoths in the world. And so when Walmart and IBM partner, they can get, you know, beginning to end at any supply chain and try and try and get blockchain adoption or IBM and Maersk, the big shipping company, they come together. Those are horizontal applications. We've focused as a as a as a smaller entity on more vertical applications, like with Grain Chain, which is a member of our Medici family, which is really working with farmers trying to get paid quickly as they drop grain off uh, at the grain elevator. Excuse the pun, but it's a more siloed industry. Uh, and we think that's easier for quick adoption. Another one where we've looked at a, a you know a thinner siloed industry is Vincent, which is working in the wine industry to try and make it so that the average consumer can buy wine futures uh, directly uh, from the vineyard or the vinter uh, and know the provenance of the wine so that when the bottle shows up, uh, they know they're getting the wine they purchased. And ultimately, if that wine becomes valuable in trades, uh, when people can be assured that they're buying the real McCoy, old mm -hmm. wine in old bottles, not new wine in new bottles. But as far as it, as it affects overstock supply chain right now, uh, we have not integrated tightly with blockchain technology. That may change and accelerate with, with uh, you know, a coronavirus pandemic, but it hasn't yet. I, I that was a very serious answer, uh, and I just finally had the moment that I was expecting to leave my little kid runs behind during this work from home. Uh, so it's a, a perfect bookend, a little bit of levity. Uh, it's everything. I think it's great. As, as the father of five sons, when I see a little toddler waddle in the back, it, it makes me feel, uh, makes me nostalgic for days gone by. Uh, of course, yeah. And, and we were joking before we started recording that, uh, that that my aspiration is to get to the point where I'm the man with the lion behind my left shoulder uh, versus <laughs> versus the bassinets and the, and the, the running screaming toddlers. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's fascinating, you know, uh, so much of the work that you're doing. And, and uh, I think everybody is, you know, more or less in uncharted territory in terms of how to respond uh, to, to the coronavirus and, and what tectonic shifts that are going to create in, in technology. Um, 
but overstock certainly seems to be uh, from a legacy standpoint and also just kind of saying that that's what we've made and in a good position to other things. You know, if, if I can comment on one of the places I see in our portfolio of companies that I think government should be jumping on, it's mobile voting. Uh, when I think about the coronavirus and gatherings, whether they're at uh, state caucuses and conventions, whether it's going to the old folks' home or the junior high school to get on a ballot machine that everyone in your neighborhood uh, has touched, uh, these just feel like, you know, petri dishes uh, to be avoided. And Votes, one of our portfolio companies, provides a mobile app on a smartphone that to date has been used by two groups of voters, uh, overseas voters, particularly military personnel and their family, who have had a hard time uh, voting absentee, but can do so quite easily on a blockchain-based remote mobile voting app. And then uh, disabled voters who are protected by the American with Disabilities Act who've been able to, to vote from home again using the same app. This is the kind of thing, this is the kind of blockchain use case that could be accelerated when people get worried about, um, you know, gathering in large groups, uh, being forced to touch uh, you know, public uh, voting machines and, and other, you know, even doorknobs. You can avoid doorknobs if you're voting from home on a, on a mobile on a on an app. So there, yeah, there so, could be a chance for acceleration here. Yeah, and uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had this issue with the caucus voting application. That was not votes, though, was it? That, no, the the group in <laughs> in uh, Iowa was a company called Shadow. Um, and I think it's given a real black eye to the mobile voting uh, industry, but votes has been used in West Virginia and Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Utah, was recently used in the presidential primary uh, in one Utah county and, and worked flawlessly, uh, again, for people that are voting remotely, either because they're overseas voters that are protected by federal statute or disabled voters that are protected by federal statute. That's kind of been the thin edge of the wedge that votes is focused on, but that could expand much more as you know, you and I say, we'd rather not go to the old folks home where the, where the polling place is and just vote from home. Well, and uh, you know, it's it's not just us, right? I mean, but you start to think about um, you know seniors that are voting, and, and and their turnout is typically much higher than, than younger demographics as well. Um, this you know this is something that has to be solved potentially, right? Uh, if if some of these elections uh, are are going to you know move on as as scheduled, I, I just I, I'm trying to think of a, a scenario where. Um, like what happens if, if everybody is in lockdown or quarantine during some of the primaries, which, which looks increasingly likely now with, with these later states, um, what happens? I mean, they, they, they have to figure out some shotgun solution to mobile voting, or they have to figure out, um, some delay, uh, mechanism and, and, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely uncharted territory. Uh, so, you know, maybe you're more privy to how some of these conversations are unfolding behind the scenes, but I'd have to imagine that platforms like votes um, are just seeing a, a sudden, you know, insane spike in, in interest and, and, and ultimate 
um, potential? Well, I, you know, government is always slow to react. Uh, I think this is a, this is a no-brainer solution. Uh, we cannot disenfranchise uh, the population because of health concerns. Um, you know, if I were a county clerk or a state secretary of state that was over voting, uh, I would be looking at companies like Votes and Votum really hard right now to say, uh, how can I implement this quickly? Um, how can I get it to more people than less? And it doesn't have to be the only solution. You know, there are people that vote by mail. There are people that, uh, you know, come to the polling place. But give people the option of downloading an app on their phone and, and doing it that way. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I appreciate you being generous with your time today. What are, what are some of the things that we should be looking out for in terms of new developments or, or kind of what's next on the, on the crypto side, the portfolio side, or, or, or with some of your, your uh, wholly owned properties in the course of the next six months? Well, on the crypto side, and I'm, you know, Medici is not really investing in crypto, but Overstock still accepts Bitcoin, and we see somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars a week of revenue come in on, from purchases with crypto. Uh, I do think uh, that we're going to see digital currencies adopted more widely, and whether it's, you know, something like Facebook was talking about, where it's uh, uh, a company-backed or foundation-backed crypto that's that's based, it's more like a stable coin based on a basket of fiat currencies, or it's something like Bitcoin uh, uh, itself, which is, you know, separate and apart from any government. I, I do think uh, there's a lot of pressure for digital currencies to be accepted, whether that's because of unbanked, people, whether it's because of uh, nation states that would like to see the U.S. dollar not be the de facto global currency, uh, there's a lot of pressures that are going to push us that way. So that's what I see on the crypto side. On the general blockchain side, I really think that the, the most killer app uh, for blockchain technology can be self-sovereign identity, where you and I control our digital identity and can give out uh, to people we're transacting with only what they need for to transact with us and do so without a bunch of trust intermediaries uh, that are holding uh, our private identity information. And you know, just to explain that, if you come to Overstock and purchase something using a credit card, uh, you have a bank, we have a bank, there's credit card processors in between there. Your bank is a honeypot of information about you that's protected in just the oddest ways. You know, if someone knows your mother's maiden name, your social security number, your bank account number, if they've hacked into that information, they can probably prove that they are you even when they're not you. Um, with self-sovereign identity on the blockchain, you've got uh, biometrics uh, that can protect your information. When someone comes to Overstock and purchases something with Bitcoin, there's only two things we need to know. Their shipping address and that they have Bitcoin that they can transfer to us. 
We don't need to know a credit card number. We don't need to know a billing address. We don't need to know a, a PIN on a credit card number. We don't even need to know an email. Uh, we just need to know where to ship the goods and that they can transfer us cryptocurrency in the way. So it's a, it's a much simpler transaction that takes out lots of trust intermediaries. So companies that are working in the identity space like Evernim, like Finclusive, like uh, Vital Chain, a, a company we've just announced today that we've taken an interest in. Uh, these are blockchain use cases that I think are really powerful. Um, well, uh, I think uh, we're looking forward to playing around with some of these applications uh, at Pasari, I hope, uh, in the coming months. And we'll, we'll certainly be spending a lot of time inside and in front of our computers in the virtual realm. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be an opportunity at the very least to uh, get our hands dirty and, uh, and, and test these and, and other applications out. Jonathan, where can people find you online? Are you on Twitter or are you avoiding that like the plague? No, I'm on Twitter, uh, at jjohnsonnow. Uh, that's, that's my Twitter handle. I'm not, not as active as some, but I do like to promote, uh, what we're working on. Medici Ventures is also on, uh, Twitter and is promoting blockchain, uh, within our family and beyond. We try and really be an information source. Uh, and then when I write an article or two, I usually post them on uh, LinkedIn as well. Excellent. Well, uh, Jonathan Johnson, uh, CEO at Overstock, thank you for being generous with your time. I'm sorry that we're not meeting physically in person uh, at the DC uh, Blockchain Summit at the Chamber, but uh, hopefully we'll make up for that soon. Uh, and, uh, and and this was a great episode, so appreciate you coming in uh, virtually. Ryan, thank you. I look forward to meeting in person and talking more about supply chain and other blockchain things uh, in face-to-face. Amen. Well, thank you to our audience and everybody else tuning in for this most recent episode of Sorry's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis. Until next time, thanks again. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.